All right, so we're, gonna, we're going to uh, hear some scripture. And uh, I just want to share with you, those of you who were not with us last Sunday, we, uh, we launched into this September series reflecting on a theme of to the moon and beyond. It, uh, it was inspired by our vacation Bible school uh, uh, theme of to the Mars and beyond. But really, the premise of the series is quite simple, and that is this. Every great adventure begins with a declaration and a commitment. Last week, we saw in worship the moment in 1962 when President John F. Kennedy uh, gave our speech where he said to the nation, we choose to go to the moon, and seven years later, we were on it. Uh, That didn't happen easily, and it took a lot of sacrifice, but the declaration was critical for the accomplishment of the journey. This month, we are making declarations about our journey here at Clarkson United Methodist Church. And last Sunday, we began with a declaration of we do really believe that we're called to vitally connect people to people and people to God, and we will do so with every fiber of our being. Today, the next declaration, and you're going to hear it described in the scripture that is now being read to you from Acts 2. Listen. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed worked together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well done. Would you join with me in prayer? We thank you, God, for the chance to catch our breath. Not a fast pant or a sucking in of wind, but rather a rhythmic, deep breath. And as we breathe, we pray that we will receive not only oxygen, but also Holy Spirit. That our hearts, as well as our lungs, would be open to being filled by the power of you and you alone. And so we offer this hour, this message, the songs, the prayers, our fellowship, all that we do today as an opportunity to be in your presence and receive. So bless us now. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Right after Jesus ascended into heaven. He lived his life, was killed, resurrected Easter Sunday, spent time with the disciples, and then ascended into heaven. Right after that, his followers gathered together in the city of Jerusalem and stayed there for a while. We can assume, based on what the Scripture tells us, because of what happened at Pentecost, it was a congregation of about 3,000 people. But they did not gather in a large auditorium. Rather, 
they would get together and go to temple, but for their own faith journeys, they gathered in each other's homes, basically house churches. So they had the energy of the 3,000 who had been filled by the Holy Spirit, but they also gathered together in house churches to talk to each other, to get to know each other, and most of all, together to get to fall more and more in love with Jesus Christ. They were filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that setting, in that environment, they they grew deep in faith and they grew deeply in love with Christ and more and more in connection and community to each other. They had these characteristics. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which meant simply they were hungry to learn. They did not know enough. They could get enough knowledge about Jesus, so they kept going back. And of course, remember, right? They weren't reading textbooks. They were telling stories, first person. They had been with Jesus, or they knew someone who had been with Jesus. So when they talked about Jesus, it was really intimate, and it could point to the moments that they witnessed themselves. They were committed to fellowship. They knew it was important to just hang with each other, just to be with each other in a place where you can feel safe and loved and nurtured in faith. They focused on breaking the bread and their prayers, which means they had worship, communion, and they prayed with each other. And they had awe. I mean, they did not come into these gatherings discouraged and defeated. They were filled with awe because they had been touched by the living God. And in every moment, they were filled by that energy and passion. And they held everything in common so that if anybody had any need whatsoever, they met the need. They didn't see themselves as, this is mine, this is yours, but this is ours. And this is the congregation that launched the mission of Jesus Christ. Now, they also became a launching pad of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. In chapter 4, Peter and John are already going out and proclaiming, teaching about Jesus, healing in his name. Lives are being changed, so more and more are coming together into this very unique community, excited to feel the power and the love. Now, here's some basic truths about that community I need to tell you about. One, they were radically sold out to the teaching example of Jesus Christ. They did not spend time arguing about which preacher they liked or which political persuasion they liked or which social issue they liked. They were focused on Jesus. They loved Jesus. They kept talking about Jesus. And they sought to fulfill their mission. They did not have 40 different distractions. They had one mission, and he had told them, go and make disciples, baptize and teach the gospel. That's what you do. They also were living under the assumption that the parousia would occur quickly. The parousia, that means Jesus was going to come back in the end time. They expected it to happen right away. I mean, like Tuesday. So there was no need to worry about the future or anything else. They were focused on loving each other in the name of Jesus and being there with each other because they literally thought Jesus might come back on Tuesday. Now, let me ask you this question. Would your Monday be different if you knew Jesus was coming back on Tuesday? My guess is yes. Some of you probably wouldn't even go to work. I'm just saying. You still have to go to school. I'm just, okay. But, but here's the thing. If you knew that this thing was going to come together and Jesus was going to be here, I mean, not only are you, now let's be honest, some of us would get to church real fast and get on our knees and pray, oh, Lord, Lord, please forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. But this community, I think, was spent more in saying, Lord, I know you've already forgiven me, so let me live in your love and let me proclaim you. Let me share this with others as much as I can for the little time I have left. 
So that's how they lived. And some people go back and read Acts 2, and they say, oh, the church is preaching socialism. Church wasn't preaching socialism. The church was describing how they were living. They were radically sold out to Jesus Christ and in love with each other and the world, and they're going to live that way. They couldn't have cared less about political persuasion. They simply wanted a lifestyle that was so unique that people began to talk about them. See, they weren't called Christians. No one used the word Christians back then. They called them people of the way. That's the way those people live. The people around them began to know them as the people of the way. This is how they live, and this is the characteristics that primarily define them to the world around them. If you knew nothing else about the people of the way, you knew they had glad and generous hearts. That's who they were. They were filled with the joy of the Lord. They were filled with the joy of the Lord, and that joy within them called them to become radically generous because they want to share what they had with each other. And that's where the church found its strength and its roots. Now, the reality is, the church hasn't always sustained that, have we? Part of that makes sense, I guess, because Jesus didn't come back on Tuesday, at least not in the way they were expecting. And so they had to figure out how to get organized for the long haul, and so they did. But every time, if you look back in history, when the church gained its vitality and energy again, it was by coming back to these very simple principles. Falling in love with Jesus Christ, letting the joy of Christ live in your heart, and then living generously. That's always what they did. Even the United Methodist Church, Methodism, Wesleyan movement, began simply by John Wesley, who was a priest, not converted of Jesus, and in a church that was boring and lifeless, fell in love with Jesus Christ, had a conversion experience, and wanted to share the love of Jesus Christ with everybody he could. And so he came back into the pulpits, and he started preaching with passion and energy and excitement, and they kicked him out of the church. They did. They said of him, you are too excited, calm down. They really did. And so he said, okay, cool, I'm not calming down. So he went outside the church. He began preaching out in the field, out in front of the church. And you know what happened? The 30 people in the church looked out and saw 3,000 people gathering in the field to listen to John Wesley. He was in love with Christ. He wanted to share that love. And he called his disciples, his, his followers, you know, those who became Wesleyans, together. And he said, listen, you got to learn about Jesus. So they studied on Jesus. They read scriptures. They prayed with each other. And he said, now you got to go out and be generous in the world. Because you can't love Jesus and not be generous. It just sort of flows out of you. It's how, it's how it works. And that defines who we have always been or wanted to be in the Wesleyan church. And it's because of that, I guess, that a few years ago, two to three years ago, I was in prayer, both my own life, but also as I was thinking about my job and helping to lead this congregation, I was trying to figure out, God, what do you need us to be or do? I mean, there's got to be more than, than just doing church. And one of the few times in my life, really, one of the few times in my life, I really received a direct answer in prayer. I mean, like, this is what I heard God say. And no, it wasn't auditory, but I knew in my heart it was God speaking to me. That we were called as a congregation to be the most radically generous congregation beyond the wildest imagination for the sake of Jesus Christ. Have you heard me say that before? Well, hear it again. 
We are called to become the most radically generous congregation beyond our wildest imagination for the sake of Jesus Christ. I know that's what Jesus was telling me to say to you. And, and I want to tell you the context of that. We were in the middle of building an $8 million building. It's got all the bells and whistles that we could afford anyway. And we were very excited to do that. But you know, sometimes, sometimes if you get something that you've really been striving for, you want to keep it pristine. You want to sort of keep it to yourself. You know, it's like if, if, you, get, if you get your fantasy car, you know, if Laura for my 50th wedding anniversary buys me a 68 Camaro, hint, hint. Honey, I'll let you ride in it, but you ain't driving it. You know what I'm saying? No one's driving my 68 Camaro. I'm driving my Camaro. You know, or if anybody else here is just casually thinking, geez, I ought to get rid of Helios fly rod from Orbis, cool. I'll let you look at it. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? The stuff you really treasure, you don't want other people to... And so I've known churches that have built amazing places and said, now you got to make sure it stays, you know, nice. And, you know, we do a special room in the church, and we got to keep that room nice. Because, you know, Jesus, when he went to heaven, said, you got to have a nice room in the church. That's what, that's what, and, you know, that's how we are. But when we were building this $8 million structure, I heard God say to us, say to me at least, and I'm trying to say it to you, see if it validated. I believe Jesus said we're called to be the most radically generous congregation, be our own wildest imagination for the sake of Jesus Christ. So therefore, we're going to give the building away. So much so that we restructured our staffing to make sure we have people intentionally in the community saying, how can we assist this community to be a healthier community by the building that we just built? We're not keeping it for ourselves. And this past week, I walked out of my front door. I kept thinking I was forgetting a wedding or something because the parking lot was full and it wasn't church time. You know, it was just time when people in the community were using our facility of all ages. And some of our members were here to interact and connect and make friends and who knows what else from there. Because we're called to be radically generous. And the other thing that motivated that, I think that's why I heard what God say this to me, is because we were experiencing during that time radical generosity that we could not stop. People were stepping forward and gifting the church and doing things for the church and serving the church in ways that we did not ask for. It just happened. They were committed to do this, and, and it was inspirational, and it was exciting. We said, this is the way the church ought to be all the time. Must be how they felt in Acts 2. So how do we nurture that? How do we continue to be these people, grow more into being these people who are radically in love with Jesus Christ with glad and generous hearts. How do we do that? Well, you, you get a program together. No, programs don't work. I mean, they help, right? So we know that we need to do a better job of telling the story, of advertising, of giving the invitation. All those things are important. They really are. But here's what I've come to learn. The best programs in the world move people about that much if they don't have the love of Jesus Christ in their heart. There are two choices necessary to be like Acts 2, to become glad and generous. The first one is to like them. You've got to fall in love with Jesus. I mean, I, you know, I can come up with a good cause. I can say to you, hey, we got this cool thing we're doing. Can you help us out? And you guys are pretty good at that. You really are. 
But Acts 2 didn't wait for someone to say, we got a good cause. They said, what can we do? Because that's how we want to live our life. You've got to want to choose to accept Jesus Christ as the center of your life, not as an interesting add-on. And the church has called for us to help figure out how to do that. Our confirmation class is sitting in worship today, and they're going to be helping lead worship on Sundays that they gather over the rest of this year when they're here for an overnight retreat and so on. We have 22 confirmands, 22 high school students, who for a year are going to explore, should I become a member of the church? I don't think it's really that. I think it's like I told them last night. I think it's a case of, are you ready to let Jesus Christ at the center of your life? That's really the decision. And we're going to work with them for the next year. And that's really going to be the question. And it's not a guilt thing. It's an invitation. You guys have an opportunity for a year to have some of us put our best efforts in making sure you get to make that decision. And as I told you guys last night, that decision changes every other decision you'll ever make the rest of your life. And powerfully so. And the confirmation class is a microcosm of the larger church. Every Sunday morning we come in here and we get a chance to choose. Am I ready this week, not last week, this week, today, in this relationship, at my work, at the school, wherever I am, am I ready there to live Jesus Christ radically? To let him help define everything that I say and do and how I live my life. Am I ready to do that? That's the question of every worship service, of every opportunity to gather together, just like it was in Acts 2 and like it is with the confirmands. It's for all of you. And the second decision is this. Do you choose? Do you choose to become a generous person? Generosity rarely happens by chance. Oh, there are random acts of generosity. You know all about that. You know, you get inspired in your McDonald's and you pay for the car behind you, that kind of thing. That's all great. I'm not knocking any of that. Please don't hear me say that. I'm not. I think, I think it's great. But that's not Christian generosity. Generosity is not an action. It's a way of life. It says everything I'm going to do today is going to be prepared to help be the person who meets a need in someone else and maybe someone I don't even know yet, a situation I haven't even walked into yet. But I want to walk into every relationship and into every place with a commitment to be generous. How? Well, that's up for you to decide in many different ways. And I want to say this to you right now. If you think today I'm talking to you about money, you are not hearing me. I'm talking about your soul. I'm talking about your life's work. I'm talking about the talents you have, the, the skills you have, the emotions you have, the faith you have, and yes, the finances you have. Are you ready and willing in every moment to do what's necessary to spread the love of Jesus Christ and do so with a glad heart? Those are the two choices we get to make today. They are our gift to us today. You get to choose. And as I said to the confirmands last night, those choices will change everything about this week, everything about today. Generous people live with gladness in their heart because that's where it comes from. It's their heart. We, we get inspired, and there are things that sometimes tug at our hearts, and we act differently. This last week, um, we hopefully in our own ways remembered 9-11, and Laura and I spent the evening of 9-11 remembering. We, we watched some videos and re-entered into that day and thought about it. And, and isn't that I want to 
keep that violence and that picture in front of me. I want to focus on September 12th. I don't want the terrorists, you know, I don't want you to keep having pictures of burning buildings in your mind. I want you to have pictures of what happened to the people after the buildings burned. I want you to keep September 12th in your mind. Let me tell you something. You guys don't remember September 12th really well, but let me tell you what happened for me. So we had this trauma in our country, and we were scared, and we were angry, and, and we had all these emotions, like up to here. And I was in Chelsea at the time. Laura and I, we were living there and raising our kids there, and I was a pastor of a church in Chelsea. And I remember watching the attack. And it just happened. We had already had it scheduled because we always did that at Chelsea, like you do here at Clarkson. We had a blood drive. I think it was on Thursday of that week, if I remember right. Whatever, it was a couple of days after 9-11. And normally, in the blood drive, the Red Cross shows up, take over our, one of our large rooms, and they get like 20, 30 people. That week, we had over 300 people show up to give blood. I mean, the, it was, I mean, we really had to work hard to manage the crowd. You know what also happened? For a number of Sundays, we had record crowds in attendance. Because people were looking for something. They were inspired. They wanted to do something. They wanted to find something. For us, we don't need an attack for that inspiration. Our inspiration comes just from the same place that it came from, from Acts 2, from knowing Jesus Christ. And when I know Jesus Christ, I want you to know Jesus Christ. I want you to have that joy. And I don't want to manipulate you. I don't want to manage you. I don't even want you to know Jesus exactly as I know Jesus because I'm pretty good with letting Jesus and you figure it out. But I want you to get to know Jesus. And I want you to make the second choice to live generously. Because you get rid of fear. You get rid of scarcity. Oh, I don't have it today. I don't feel good today. It's about Christ in you. It's not about you. So I want to be clear. Last week I said to you that I really believe in my heart that we are called to vitally live by connecting people to people and people to God. My invitation to you, and if you would trust me, I believe the invitation God has given you is that we become the most radically generous congregation beyond our or anybody else's wildest imagination for the sake of Jesus Christ. Here's what I know. You're already doing an amazing amount of generosity. The snacks we're collecting for the teachers to hand out in their classrooms, the food pantry ministry that's entirely supported by the food you give it. Do you know how much more we could do, how many ripples into this world we could launch if we lived every day with that passion and the joy we would have You'd be as giddy as you were when you heard the bells ring. And you'd be ready. I'd be ready. Tomorrow, anyone I faced, to share the love of Christ with everything I have, no matter who they were, prepared only because I'd made two choices, Jesus and generosity. It's my invitation to you. You get to choose. 
In your personal life, you get to choose. No one can make that choice for you. But as a congregation, for as long as I'm here, you're going to hear me say, you know what? We are called to be the most radically generous congregation beyond our wildest imagination for the sake of Jesus Christ. Your choice.